That little piece of technology in the bumper that Chris McKeever made for us, Chris is so creative, uh, it's uh, kids, it's called a phonograph. And uh, it's a, a record player. It is, who has a record player? Who in the room actually has a record player? Who has used their record player this year? Let me see your hands. Oh, see, I love some music, some music lovers. Uh, this is how we used to listen to music. And, and real audiophiles know that uh, the key to getting the, the sound reproduced correctly is not a high definition MP3 or, or high proprietary digital format, but it involves a very expensive needle, a very expensive record player. In fact, uh, the designer for Apple that just left Apple, is, he's why the iPhone looks the way it looks in your pocket, um, Johnny Ive, the first thing he created after he left Apple this past year was a phonograph, which is worth several thousand dollars just to buy, and he designed it. It's because music, and if you're a music lover, then you know that's the best way to make music is on this phonograph. But I remember as a kid being in our basement, our house, and getting up on a chair so I could see the phonograph. It was on a table that was higher than I was and starting songs and putting the needle. I mean, you, you haven't really lived until you figure out where to find the beginning of a song on a piece of vinyl and then picking it up again and having your dad yell at you because you're marring the needle. Um, this series is about music. And the reason why it's about music is because in the Bible, we have at least 190 songs that are there. And some are in the Psalms, but they're songs all the way from Exodus to Revelation. And music is key and it's important. It's so important that the songs of Scripture teach us all sorts of things about victory and defeat, about joy, about sadness. And they're in Scripture for some very specific reasons. God created us to love and have a heart drawn toward music and the things that music do to us. And so our love for music is innate. It's inborn. It's how God made us. It's how God created us. And to understand music, we'll say it this way, and I don't think this is overstated in any way. If you want to understand scripture, then we need to understand music. Music is a part of our life in so many ways. We're a little light this morning because we have some Swifties in our congregation <laughs> who spent downtown. Don Talley won two tickets to Taylor Swift yesterday. No, it was Friday. Don Talley won two tickets. Do you think Don Talley went to see Taylor Swift? <laughs> no, he did not. He gave his two tickets to his two daughters. We went with two other folks from our church. They got to... Enjoy. I wouldn't want to be anywhere near downtown last night or Friday night unless you had two or a few Taylor Swift tickets. It's this, this experience of music. And it doesn't matter to me whether you like Taylor Swift or Jethro Tull or Led Zeppelin or you name it. Only Christian music maybe is kind of your thing or maybe only secular music because of the way you grew up and the music you've been around. Music has a powerful effect and a powerful spiritual effect even if you don't know what it means to follow Jesus, and especially if you do. In fact, it's so powerful, music, that Plato said that it should be limited to the elite, to the educated that can understand what to do with the powerful emotions that happen with music. He was afraid that if the working class got a hold of music, that it would cause them to rise up and revolt and they would be emotionally out of control. 
And if you've been to a concert or two, you know exactly what Plato was talking about. <laughs> We've got a name for it. In the late 1800s, a sociologist gave it a name. Collective effervescence is the name. Sociologists describe the feeling that happens when notes constructed as chords and chord progressions combined with meaningful lyrics that either tap into our joy or our sadness or some other truth that we're aware of and then we're near someone else when this happens and we see it in their eyes too or we sense it in their body, posture, you name it. All of this creates this emotional experience that is intellectual as well. It's called collective effervescence. And these feelings can be just incredible. And oddly enough, some of us in our faith or our faith journeys, or maybe in some churches that we were a part of, we were taught that feelings aren't really to be trusted, that we shouldn't trust our feelings. How many of you remember that being a message you received from some sort of church setting or somebody that was teaching around church things? Let me see your hands. Feelings are not to be trusted. Yeah, I heard this, uh, especially in regards to Star Wars, when Obi-Wan says to Luke, Luke, what does he say? Trust your, trust your feelings, this is the force, so trust your feelings. And I remember being taught at church, no, that's not, that's not good. Your feelings will lead you astray. They'll take you places you shouldn't go. In fact, it echoes Plato's warnings from before that emotions are dangerous, and they are not to be trusted. And yet Jesus said himself, he said, what should I compare this generation? You might remember this from earlier in the series. It's like children sitting in marketplaces who call out to each other, we played the flute for you, or a, a, a dance of celebration, a song of celebration, but you didn't dance. And we sang a lament or a dirge, some translations say, but you didn't mourn. In other words, there are things going on around you and music is calling out to you and these things are connected to your emotions. Music calls to your emotions and it calls for these responses, but something's disconnected in you and you don't feel those things. And Jesus says, when that happens and John the Baptist shows up, this is the context, and he calls for repentance, you don't know what it means to feel sorrow. You don't feel sorrow. Or when I show up and I say the kingdom is coming and I'm throwing a party and keeping a wedding going and I'm hanging out with drunkards and people who otherwise would be cast out by the religious folks, a party has ensued and you don't know what it means to feel celebration. These powerful moments create intense change, reflection, and understanding for us. Through this series, I've had some conversations with some of you about concerts you've been to and music that you've enjoyed. It's been incredible just to have those fun chats. Josh and I had one this week. Josh was telling me about a moment when he was in college, up in Canada. You know, Josh is Canadian. And, <laughs> and you too was coming to Toronto, playing the Sky Dome. And the first night he went, bought tickets. He didn't have the money, but he paid for them anyway. And he went... <laughs> with some of his friends to see you two. The second night he went again, all by himself. Nobody wanted to go. They'd just seen it. Josh is like, no, if you know Josh, he's a, a music lover. So he shows up at the Sky Dome, U two's playing. And he's what he said. He said, Phil, there was a moment where they sang Amazing Grace and it flowed into where the streets have no name. And there I was in the Sky Dome, packed, and they're all singing. I was 
once lost, but now I'm found. And he, I'm about to tear up. He just told me about it. I wasn't even there. And him telling me the story, he was about to tear up. He said, I was in the sky dome and I felt like I could levitate. Have you ever had that feeling? This is what music does. And the power of it is incredible. And the reason why you feel that way, the reason why Josh felt that way in the 90s, in the Toronto Sky Dome, Bono, who is vocal about his faith, takes this crowd into a place where many of them have never been, spiritually speaking, together, collectively, collective effervescence. The reason why all that happens is really for two reasons. Number one, God made you and you've been made in his image and God has created you to love those things that bring about those responses in you. And secondly, connected, God made music. Every note, God made music. Now, of course, we use all things that God made for good purposes and bad purposes. But God made music and spiritually speaking, it calls to a place in us that brings about our feelings to the surface because you were made to feel. That's part of how God created you. It's part of how he wired you. Some of us have learned to shut it down and we don't go there. Some of us have learned to only embrace it under certain circumstances or certain feelings. But God made your senses and he made you to experience him in the glory of all of your senses. David wrote in the Psalms about this truth, and he describes it this way. He says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. In fact, let's just all say it together. You ready? Start at the beginning. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. This idea of our senses being part of how God made us and part of how he wired us is so important. In fact, many followers of Christ have set aside their feelings so they can pursue God intellectually or academically, and they miss an entire aspect of their whole walk with God. And David describes it. Your senses were made to experience God and experience the world, and these are the reasons for your feelings. David says it plainly. Why? Taste and see what? Say it with me. That the Lord is... That's, what, that's why your feelings exist. That's why they exist. And some of you I know are thinking, but some of my feelings aren't very good. And that's perfect because we'll, we'll get there. And that's, that's why this week and next week are so important. But this is exactly why you have feelings. So that you can understand the character of God. The nature of God. Who God is. You've been made in his image. You've been created for these purposes. And you have feelings and senses. And these make you, well, the word that we would use if it hadn't been misused so much in our culture, you have been made to be sensual. You know that, right? Sensual. In fact, the songs of scripture tell us that over and over and over again. Your senses come to the surface. There's a whole pile of songs that we won't touch in this series, not because I'm afraid to touch them. I'm not. I would. But the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon is all about the senses that God has created. And that'll be a whole other sermon series all on its own that I will leave for the next preacher that... (laughs) 
that preaches at Castle Oaks, but because, you know, I'm sure she'll love to do that. And when this happens, when this happens, these senses are alive and well, and you were made with these senses. You were made with them. It's how God created you. And the scriptures combine what we feel and what we know and direct us down a path. This is why we pay attention to them. They tell us what to do with these feelings. In fact, when we see that these senses are alive and they are part of our world, it's like last week's sermon. We talked about this Christ hymn in Colossians. Some of us feel optimistic. Some of us feel pessimistic. And sometimes our optimism is for all the wrong reasons. Sometimes our pessimism is for selfish, inward reasons. But the songs of Scripture teach us what to do with those feelings. And so they teach us what to be optimistic about. If you're going to be optimistic, understand that God is reconciling all things. If you're going to be pessimistic, then look for something that isn't quite yet reconciled. And would you, for goodness sakes, get to work on it and use your energy to bring about that reconciliation. We've been given this ministry, Paul says. I know all these Feelings and this talk about feelings isn't typical for church. I had a friend in our church that came to me a few weeks ago and said, You know, you're talking an awful lot about the F word. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did you say F word? He said, You know, feelings. I'm not, I don't know about this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not used to this. So I, if that's not a comfortable place for you, then let me give you an analogy that would help maybe understand how these things fit together and why the songs of scripture bring together what we know and what we feel. A friend of mine, he let me drive his Tesla. And some of you have electric cars, some of you have driven, how many of you have driven an electric car? See your hands, you got got a few. If you've driven one, it's a unique experience. So he he put me in the driver's seat and we got out on 25 and uh, he could tell I was babying it and being gentle with it. And he said, come on, Phil, mash the pedal. And so I hit the pedal, and there's, it's, it's like nothing you've ever experienced. I've driven gas cars all my life. I was pinned to the seat. I couldn't have leaned forward if I wanted to. The power that was there was unbelievably immense. Had never experienced it in a vehicle. Our feelings are powerful. It's why sociologists call them collective effervescence when we experience them together. Our feelings have energy. You felt them. Our feelings are the engine that often make us move, that motivate us toward solutions or motivate us to do certain things or maybe even behave in ways that we didn't even know we were remotely capable of. Our feelings, and you can think of all the good applications and all of the negative applications, but our feelings are strong and they are powerful, just like the engine in a very fast automobile. They can move you and move you places that you didn't even know you could go. At times when you have your feelings engaged, you feel like you are along for the ride and you don't even know how you got there. You ever feel that way? Like anger rises up in you and you find yourself saying things you know you're going to apologize for later, but you don't care. And out it comes. Or maybe grief sneaks in through a song or a conversation or a scene in a movie that's this incredible combination of visual and musical. 
and you don't know what to do with the feelings that you have and you feel overcome with grief. You've been there. These are our feelings. It feels like you're just along for the ride. It feels like something is happening to you. And it's important. God made those feelings. He created them. He made you to taste and see and feel. You are full of senses, and it's important that you understand them. But he also made us intellectual learners and those who know. And so if the feelings are the engine in the car, the knowledge that we have about those feelings, or what to do with those feelings, or where to direct those feelings, well, the knowledge and the understanding is the steering wheel. And they direct us to certain specific places. And the knowledge of Scripture harnesses the power and the motives and the energy behind your emotions, even if you've gotten in the habit of shutting them down. They're there. And the steering wheel, the understanding of Scripture, teaches you where to point them, where the energy goes, what to be optimistic about, what to do with your grief, what to do with your joy. These are how they fit together. And this, this analogy is key, and this understanding of senses is key. And so, for the next two weeks, we just have a few weeks left in the series before we jump into fall stuff in August. For the next two weeks, we want to dig into some of the harder emotions in Scripture, the emotions of, of grief and loss and difficulty and pain. And it's not going to be an easy journey for us, but I want you to come along for the ride, even if you think, you know what, I, I resist those things. You know, I believe God's given us joy and he wants us to be happy. And I, I, every time I go to places of sadness, I find it unproductive, especially if that's you. I want you to come along for the ride just for two weeks. Then you can forget everything I said about it if it's just total junk to you, okay? If you'll come along for the ride, then I think you'll see that God has designed these emotions of grief and sadness and difficulty to take us to places that we resist going but are important to go and bring about immense healing and peace that we would never otherwise know. And these two weeks together, they, they fit together. They're important, part one, part two. One lays the foundation, of course, for next week, and the other makes the foundation make sense. So as they come together, if you miss one of the weeks, you're listening online and miss next week, then jump on and listen to it later because you will not find yourself in a place of hopelessness. God has a place for us to go to. Here's one of the songs of scripture. I want you to see the lyrics just for a moment. It was written by David. And David says this, I am worn out and utterly crushed. And my heart is troubled. And I groan with pain. Oh Lord, you know what I long for. You hear all of my groans. My heart is pounding and my strength is gone, and my eyes have lost their brightness. David's words are uh, poetic, and they're piercing. Uh, they're a little uncomfortable. Um, if you've spent much time in the Psalms, then you're used to seeing words like this from David. Uh, David was a, a shepherd, a, a king. He was a songwriter. He was a musician. He was named as a man who was after God's own heart. And so there's a, a lot about David that God lauded and saw even as a young man as he was going to lead 
the nation of Israel. But this particular psalm has a name. It's called a lament. Say it with me. Lament. Uh, Josh, come on up. and I, Josh is going to help me do a little thing here. But as he's coming up, let me paint a picture for you. This is just the middle of Psalm 38. There's verses before it and there's verses after it. And when you read the laments of David, then you understand that there is a connection between the physical world and the spiritual world. In other words, they really are one and the same. One is something that we can touch and see and feel, but another is something that we can only sort of sense with our senses. We can experience it, but we can't really touch it. And David brings these two worlds together, the same as what we know and the same as what we feel. And so... Josh is, is great on guitar. Here's what I want Josh to do. We're going to play just a bit of Name That Tune, okay? Um, uh, yeah, he's only got one. So it's not Name That Tunes, it's just one. I'm going to have him play a lick. And if you know what song it is that Josh is playing, just shout it out. So give it a minute, a little, little quiet, and go when you're ready. Yeah? Keep going. Give Josh a hand. Come on, that was good. I texted Josh yesterday and said, hey, uh, can you play the uh, opening lick to Fire and Rain? And he said, uh, who, who sings that? <laughs> Josh is uh, 35, and he's Canadian, two strikes against him. And uh, to his credit, he said, as soon as he looked it up, he said, oh, yeah, that's, that's. And five minutes later, Josh sent me a little audio recording of him hitting that lick. That's how good Josh is. That's a very advanced guitar lick. Yeah, it's Fire and Rain. It was written by a man named James Taylor. That's James Taylor in 1970. It's been a while. He's bald now. Some of you feel his pain. Tough. That's right. That's right, Dave Ells. Dave Ells wants us to know there was a glory day. And he had something on top, just like Mr. JT there. James Taylor was unknown. And he was in London recording his very first album. The Beatles had picked him up for their new, brand new recording label. It's called Apple Records. And they picked him up. He was in London recording his very first album. Nobody had really ever heard of James Taylor. And he was in London when one of his friends committed suicide, Suzanne. And they were afraid to tell him. He was moving. He was doing records, going good, recordings going great. They didn't want to tell him what had happened. About a month into it, they thought, he's going to find out. He's going to get worried. He's going to get a letter. Something's going to happen. And he's going to find out. So his good friend told him. And he uh, crumbled. He crumbled. Uh, romantic interest, dear friend. And so you, you know the first lyrics of the song? Yeah, I can hear you whispering them, saying, just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. When you hear that little opening riff, it's one of the saddest things you hear. And James Taylor wrote a lament. He wrote a lament. It's a very sad song. It's, it's such a popular song. When Rolling Stone created their list of the most 500 influential songs in the history of rock and roll, his song made it to number 146. And all three verses tell parts of Taylor's life which are terribly tragic and incredibly hard. 
You know, one is the loss of his friend through suicide. One was the, the second verse, third verse, they're about his heroin addiction and his time in a mental hospital. Two stays, self-committed. James Taylor committed himself knowing that he would be out of control if he didn't put himself in a controlled situation. It's one of the most beautiful songs, but if you're not ready to be a little sad, as soon as it comes on, you'll switch to the next track. I saw James play us live at Red Rocks. That's him at Red Rocks. I was there. And then me and my brothers, we took my dad to see James Taylor in Lexington, Kentucky back in 2016. And so my three of us and my dad lined up there just above the stage. And uh, dad was moving and grooving like I hadn't seen him in a long time. (laughs) It was a beautiful thing to see. They grew up together, my dad and James Taylor. They understood each other. They were in the same seasons of life. And during a break, James Taylor, we we were up up to the side of the stage. He kind of moseyed over. We were, I don't know, 20 feet above the floor. And he kind of walked over kind of in hidden from the rest of the crowd and and me and my brother thought we can get pretty close to him let's go down to the rail we got down to the rail threw him my phone and he took a selfie with us (laughs) and so that's me that's my younger brother marty and that's james taylor's nose hairs (laughs) up jt's nose not too many people have a picture of that and i'm mostly sad i do too I think James Taylor and David would have been good friends. I think they have a lot in common. I think they understood how to feel. I think they understood what emotions show up when life doesn't quite work out the way you anticipate. I think they would have had much to talk about. And if if we're honest, if we are honest with each other this morning and honest with God, then we would say this, that most of us aren't really comfortable with the emotions of of grief, lament, and sadness. Certain songs, maybe fire and rain come on and we skip to the next one. Maybe we're around some people, we want it to be light and happy. Life is hard enough, let's not go there on purpose. Let's not talk about the things that are hard and difficult and painful, and yet they are there. Most of us have a difficult time embracing the idea of lament. But biblically speaking, if we don't go there, we miss on so much of what God wants to give us. I think for some of us, we resist lament because it feels like an emotional dead end to us. It feels like, well, what's the point? I've been sad. I know where sad leads me. It leads me to sad. I don't really want to feel sad. And sadness is just going to lead me to this place where I might find myself in a, in a pit of, of self-deprecation, self-pity, a place where I, I know nothing good is going to come of it. It feels overwhelming. I don't even know what to do with it. It feels like an emotional dead end. And when some of us who have come to this conclusion and decide to kind of shove sadness aside, when other people are around us and they express sadness or dissatisfaction or maybe some sort of sorrow we don't even know what to do with that and so we change the subject we tell a joke we go to sarcasm we do all kinds of things to avoid this place of sadness and so for some of us it's an emotional dead end Uh, for a lot of us though it feels like a dark and unsafe territory that is to be avoided 
It can feel like a black hole that you get sucked into and you cannot find your way out of. And some of you have been in that black hole. We call it depression. We call it lots of things. And it's a very difficult place to be. And the place that we get sucked into when we look at the mess of the world, it can feel consuming, it can feel dangerous, it can feel unsafe, and we don't know what to do with it. And so most of us have a box, and that box exists so that we can put our feelings of of grief and sadness and lament into that box. And we don't open that box. We might open it on Christmas Eve or on a sad day, an anniversary of a loss. We might open it when something kind of crashes through our barriers and we have to face it. We might open it when a friend insists that we go there. But for the most part, we don't want to open it because what good will it do? It doesn't feel safe. And there we are. And so we do all kinds of things with this pain that we have. We distract ourselves, we numb ourselves, we ignore it, and we leave it in the box, locked up. When David wrote the Psalms, when he helps us understand and gives words to our grief, when he describes some of the most painful experiences of his life, he does so with such pointedness that we don't know what to do with it. But lament, lament is so critical to our walk with God. In fact, Old Testament scholars will say that two-thirds of the Psalms are written as laments. We have an entire book in the Bible dedicated to lament. The, The word that we use for that, the title, is lamentations. It's Jeremiah's deep distress over the state of the world. Look, when we take one of these approaches to our emotional life and to the things that are around us, when we ignore these things and we box them up, when we do that, there's a part of our life that shuts down. There's a part of our life that ebbs away from us. Listen close. If you ignore sadness you eventually will lose joy. If you ignore anger, you eventually lose compassion and you don't feel. When you pretend you aren't sad, when you pretend you aren't dealing with loss, then eventually your body will tell you that you are losing. And so it shows up. For some of us, it shows up in our stomach. For some of us, it shows up in our nerves. For some of us, it shows up in other symptoms. When you read the Psalms of David, it's very clear that the spiritual world and the physical world, well, we can try to separate them if we like, but they are one and the same. And so when we decide that we will not feel these things, we will react in a thousand different ways, physically and spiritually. But maybe most detrimentally, we grow distant from God because we have this sense that God could fix it if he would have. Either God is God and he's sovereign and all-powerful 
or he's not and therefore not worthy of our worship. It's really hard to find a middle ground with God and his deity and his personal nature in our lives. So when we decide to not address our grief or ask the questions that are almost unanswerable, then we find ourselves in a place growing distant and far from God's nature. And so for whatever reason in the Bible, if we're going to address the songs of Scripture, then we understand that we've been invited. So many of them are laments. Lamentations is there. Every prophet that prophesied has a lament. Even Jesus from the cross quoted a lament of David's. My God, my God, why have you, what? It's a lament. The laments of Scripture. These songs of Scripture are an invitation to feel deeply and embrace the emotions of lament. And for the most part, we don't know how to lament. Now, understand, we know how to complain. We know how to rant. We know how to engage in self-protective behaviors. But we don't know how to lament. And lament is, is different. And as we said earlier, the feelings that we feel, they're the engine. And they drive us. They drive us to important places and maybe unexpected places and maybe surprising places that we really don't want to visit again. But they are powerful and they are present because you are a sensual being made with God to taste and see and live and experience and go through all of it. But the truth of scripture tells you what to do with all of those feelings. The truth and knowledge, understanding of scripture why it's the steering wheel that will take you to good places and right places with all of those feelings. And when we understand how these come together, then the songs of scripture allow us to take places in our heart and in our lives that have never been healed. We don't know what to do with it. We have questions that are unanswerable. And yet they take us to places where we absolutely find our place open-handed, trusting God in new and unique ways. When we understand this, then the songs of scripture have power and meaning. Without lament, you don't know what to do with your grief, I promise. It, look, without lament, the truth of God's kingdom coming now has no power. Without lament, your work, I mean, it's just rearranging the deck chairs. That's all. Without lament, your optimism won't drive you to places to what it means to reconcile all things. Without lament, you will find yourself self-absorbed, unable to connect to the pain of other people and show them a different path. Lament, scriptural lament, will teach you how to own what's happened while God meeting you in the middle of it. And that's what God wants. Above all, he wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you, even through the darkest of places. He wants to go with you through the pain that you won't trust him with. This is what God desires. You've already sung this truth several times if you've 
listen to the lyrics that have been coming out of your mouth. And you're about to sing it again. In fact, you're about to sing this core and basic truth that's in all of scripture, that Christ is enough. And when you sing these lyrics, you'll be reminded that, you know, there was at least two or three times this week when you're absolutely certain that you didn't feel like Christ was enough. When you wanted your own way, you wanted what you wanted, you wanted more of this, you were feeling FOMO because your friends are off having fun and you're not there. And now you're reminded that Christ is enough. You check the balance of your retirement accounts and you thought, I don't know if I'll have enough. And now you will sing these lyrics that Christ is enough. Your feelings were there. Bring them to God and then declare this truth that Paul echoes over and over again in every letter he writes, that David writes in all of the Psalms, that Moses records from the mountain, that God is enough. He can meet your every need and we trust him. We trust him with our lives. We trust him with this week. We trust him with the circumstances that we don't know what to do with. Now, the scriptures have much more to teach us about lament. And if it feels like that we're being invited to a place of sadness, know this. While it's true, it is a stop on the journey. The other side of it is truth and trust and freedom. I promise. That's about next week. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, we declare this truth that you are enough. And so we also confess that there are times, even in this week, when we have felt like that you, in fact, are not enough. Where we have been greedy, we have been selfish. We have decided to go our own way to get something that you did not have in mind for us. And so we collectively confess that you are enough. And in addition to that, we repent. We repent of the times this week when we have chosen our own path. And our feelings have led us to a place where our trust is lacking. And so, Lord, as we declare this truth and as we open our hearts to you, we do so knowing that your word and the truth therein will direct our sadness, our optimism, our pessimism, our realism, all of the emotions that we feel. Lord, we cannot imagine a world without music. We cannot imagine a world without this truth. We're grateful that you made us in your image and that you gave us the ability to sense, to cry, and to weep, to grieve, to laugh, to feel overwhelming joy to look up at the mountains and know that our help comes from a mighty God anxious to love us in powerful unconditional ways and so Lord as we leave this place with these words on our lips we declare this truth that Jesus is enough we have all we need for this week and this week when our feelings take us to places of doubt or despair help us to acknowledge them see them for what they are and then declare this truth from Scripture. Lord, we do this now with all of our voices. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen.